Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts. Good afternoon and welcome to Monday's Drive Home show with me, Rebecca Ricketts. Tonight it's just me, myself and I, so please join in by calling or texting in as I share my journey building a culture of reading and literacy across my secondary school. I'll be discussing my plans, what's working, what needs work, and as always, asking for advice from others in a similar role. Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So hello and welcome to my first ever solo show here on Teachers Talk Radio, which I have very mixed feelings about, I'm not going to lie, um, feeling a little bit nervous. So bear with me as I now witter on at you for the next hour and maybe a half, we'll see how we get on. Um, yeah, so first of all, can I just start by saying happy International Day of Education, by the way, did not realise that that was actually happening until I was doing a bit of news reading earlier on this evening. So happy International Day of Education to everybody who is listening. I feel like I should probably be eating cake or something, but um, instead, here I am. Um, it's nice that I've already got a couple of listeners, so thank you so much. Hi, Emily, and hi, Dave. At least I'm not completely by myself. Um, so, welcome to this evening's show. Um, it's 8pm here in Dubai. Um, what a non-stop half-term it has been so far. Um, I've been fairly quiet, I guess, on Teachers Talk Radio. I think I've done one show so far this half-term. Um, and I think that's very much just typical of the place that we're in right now in terms of busyness and trying to get everything balanced. But I was determined to be back today. And even though I am minus a guest, um, here we go. 10% braver, a little bit of uh, me, myself and I, and let's see how we get on. Um, so, like I say, first half term of 2022 and what a first half term it has been. Um, I mentioned in my last show that obviously I started my school year this year not how I wanted to, isolating, being a COVID close contact and teaching from home for the first week of term. Um, and again, definitely, so that's one thing I could throw into Teachers Room 101, it is that. Um, since then, we've been back. I was back in the classroom. I've been back in the classroom. I always feel like I need to give you an update when I start this show. Um, and so I've been back for the last two weeks. And we've been hybrid teaching in the UAE. And I feel lucky in one sense because we've managed to keep school open and students having some semblance of normality. But And I also feel like all we ever talk about is COVID. So I don't really want to talk about this too much because I feel like this is what everybody hears about all the time. But, you know, hybrid teaching once again, and it is just the worst. I think, I have to be honest, I think it is the worst. Um, students in front of me, I just desperately want to get around the classroom and I want to see them. The students at home, I don't feel like I'm helping them enough. Um, but as always, the kids have been amazing. It always blows my mind, I think, and I think I'm speaking for everybody, no matter where you are in the world, who's had to deal with students in this situation. 
just how resilient they are and how amazing they are at just getting on and dealing with situations. And it has been good. We've still managed to do certain things. We've still managed to teach a certain way and have a semblance of what I would class as a normal classroom environment. But I've really, really missed. And it's the same things every time I say, walking around the classroom, looking at the work as it's going on, being tethered to my laptop is the absolute worst um, and not being able to use my board. Um, I'm really excited. My school, I've been asking and they're getting me a visualizer um, and people I know are also huge advocates of using a visualizer in the classroom. Um, so that will be something that will be nice whilst I've still got students online or hopefully when they're all back in the classroom. Um, today was the first day that the UAE Education Authority, the KHDA, had mandated that we could start getting students back into the classrooms properly and it was an absolute joy today to be able to do that walking around and move a little bit more and have a little bit more flexibility. Um, but yeah, it is definitely a challenge. So anybody out there who's had to work from home or is hybrid teaching or is struggling with students in school, 100% I feel you, it's awful. But once again, and I've said it before, and I'll probably say it again, I just think we're such an adaptable bunch. I think teachers as a profession, I think anything that kind of gets thrown at us in the moment, we seem to be dealing with. So yeah, I said happy International Day of Education, but I'm saying it again because I feel like everyone does deserve to probably be eating cake or maybe drinking a glass of wine or whatever they need to do to just say well done for getting through. I do have to say though, on a personal level, um, it really does go to show um, that when you know that you're supported by a strong leadership team and how much they try to normalise these bizarre times for the students as much as possible, um, we've managed to still have the students going outside, you know, in bubbles, during break times, staggered break times, but at least getting outside and still getting to sit with their friends and play a bit of football, even though they're still running around with their masks on the kids. But I do feel that certainly in my school, what has been really, really wonderful to see is how much the leadership are trying to normalise these times for students so that the social and holistic parts of education are not lost. And that's something that I speak about quite a lot. And I'll probably speak about quite a lot today, actually, as I'm talking to you about my reading and literacy journey that I am going on in my school right now. So we've had that, and amongst all of this, we're also preparing for our first ever BSO inspection. Now BSO stands for British Schools Overseas, for any of you that don't have that knowledge. Um, it's the school's first inspection with the secondary site, because people who've listened to my show before, you know that we're building from a primary into a secondary, and I am the secondary head of English. And it's my first ever inspection as a head of department. Um, I'm nervous, to say the least. Um, but obviously quite excited to be able to show all the things that we've been doing and obviously focus on some of the things I'm going to talk about this afternoon in terms of developing reading literacy across the curriculum. Um, but basically, British schools overseas, they're measuring the effectiveness of the British curriculum schools in the countries all around the world. Um, so being mindful of this while we're navigating the ever-changing COVID landscape, it has definitely been quite the juggling act. So yeah, I think over the next few weeks I am going to be in and out of Teachers Talk Radio, but I promise, I really hope this is going to be one of the very few shows I actually have to do on my own. I feel like an NQT all over again. Um, you know, right now we can plan a lesson in a few minutes and get up there and we can, I don't want to say wing it in case anybody who's listening to me who might be observing me teach, but you know, 
that's the fact. This show tonight very much has been planned as if I am a PGC student, NQT student. I have written down so many ideas and things to talk about. Um, so we'll see how we get on. But anyway, back to thinking about this inspection. I am making sure right now that all my paperwork is in order, getting that organized, starting to collaborate with the teachers so that we can make sure that our planning is in line with each other. We've got um, the initial inspection on Friday. So at least we've got a little bit of time to sort of practice and have a look and see what things are going to be like before the real thing, the week before half term. So that's everything that's been going on there. And as well as this, obviously, the whole focus of today's show um, is developing the school's focus on reading across the curriculum. Um, it's a topic that previous listeners will know that I am really passionate about, incredibly passionate about. Um, every week this half term, I have been and will continue to deliver PD sessions to staff and breaking down the theory, the research, the data, and then delivering some strategies to support the development of students' literacy across our school. On a personal level, it's been great for me, actually, to re-engage with theory and develop my own thinking and practice once again. It's really easy, I think, to get out of the habit of doing your reading and, you know, remembering the things that you love about your subject, developing your subject. Um, and once again, I'm always an advocate of this, but Twitter has been invaluable for me. Um, there have been some wonderful people really kindly sharing resources, sharing ideas. Um, and honestly, I can't really say enough about how great the wealth of those resources are. Um, I think it's the best form of free CPD that you can find, other than obviously listening to Teachers Talk Radio. I should probably um, get that plug in there. Um, but one particular that I need to really reference is the Literacy Network. And they've set up a Google Drive that is absolutely packed with resources. So if you haven't come across it already, I strongly recommend you to have a look because the resources that are there, the ideas that are there, they're cross-curricular. They suit loads of different ideas, looking at oracy, looking at vocabulary, looking at reading, looking at talking strategies. So whether you are an English specialist, whether you're coming at this from a completely different subject ideal, please go and have a look. So, to support my own development with this, like I said, I've mentioned some reading, and I'm going to go into that in a little bit more detail later, go over some of the books that I always pick up when I'm focusing on reading. I have been participating in the Open University Reading for Pleasure course, and it's something that's set up by the Open University and is facilitated all around the world by different people. Now, I'm really fortunate. The wonderful lady that is facilitating my course is a lady called Mary Rose Grieve, who is absolutely fantastic. And she has actually been a previous guest of mine on the show to talk about promoting a lot of reading. And she is a school librarian at Heartland International School, which is one of the schools here in Dubai. Um, her passion and enthusiasm for encouraging young people to read and be readers and create environments and safe spaces for young people to read is absolutely phenomenal and her ideas alone I could listen to all day um, but what also this enabled me to do is actually to connect with educators from across the world hearing their ideas and experiences and that has been invaluable you know speaking to teachers who were in Kenya last week and Malaysia as well as people in the UAE some people in different countries in Europe it's amazing really when 
Start breaking down the issues that you face, whether you are a primary, secondary librarian. And everybody's got the same kind of issues, barriers, things that they're coming up against all the time, but also hearing how people are dealing with those. So if you are interested in developing a reading culture or thinking about how you can develop your own practice, um, working with the Open University and participating in this Reading for Pleasure course is absolutely invaluable. So please do some research and see if you can get participating. The website itself, the Open University Reading for Pleasure website is an absolute goldmine again for resources, but not only resources, they do phenomenal case studies. Um, where you can see teachers in action, in action and we can see things in practice and it's really, really great to see those evidence-based practices where even the smallest changes that people have done, whether it's even something as small as a display, but how that has then encouraged young people to pick up books and start reading. And when you're looking at something so huge like developing your reading for pleasure curriculum, developing literacy across the school, just seeing these small wins is absolutely amazing and makes you feel like actually it's not quite such a huge mountain to climb. So last week was the most recent update, I guess, of the course. And I had the absolute pleasure and total fangirl moment um, to meet Teresa Kremen, the Reading for Pleasure oracle um, she came to our session where well, all our sessions are online but she was there on zoom and to hear her share her views her ideas her approach to developing reading for pleasure was just fascinating and i could have literally listened to this lady all day if you've read Teresa kremen's work it's so accessible it's so interesting it's so engaging um, but actually to hear her speak there's just no fuss. It's absolutely, this is what reading is. This is why we should be getting young people to do it. And this is how we can get young people to do it. It's so actionable, but it's so steep, not only in research and pedagogical approaches, but passion and drive and enthusiasm for something that we all care so much about. She talks about creating informal book talk in schools, um, developing and creating learner-led conversations, really giving students that opportunity to talk about reading. Um, one of the things I'm going to mention today is some of the data and the research that I've done with my students and the outcomes that that's given me. Um, and seeing really how much students don't have the opportunity to talk about what they're reading and how we can start to create those opportunities within schools and within learning environments. Um, creating social reading environments as well, I mean, it's something that I've spoken about before on this show. I don't have a school library to work with. Um, we've got a couple of reading spaces and it's about thinking about these small things that we can do to create them create these spaces where students feel that they can be comfortable, feel that they can be confident to pick up a book. So she's given me huge food for thought. Um, it is definitely part of my longer term goals as part of developing the reading culture in my school, but how we can actually spread certainly the informal book talk amongst subjects and amongst curriculum areas, not just in the English classroom. So my project itself, I kind of 
it took me a while really to think about how I wanted to approach this because obviously as part of my whole school project I'm dealing with everything and tackling all the issues but for the project it needed to be something very focused and so I decided to really develop my knowledge of my students as readers and actually developing my understanding of why students are disengaged with reading or if they're not disengaged what's engaging them how we can develop and support that further um, it's not even really at this stage about fixing the problem it's more finding out what the problem actually is and I think it's something that actually when I've reflected on it quite a lot quite shamefully I've forgotten to do this bit in the past I've dealt with projects dealing with reading across the curriculum building building reading curriculums, building reading for pleasure across schools, but actually thinking about, you know, we do this in our lessons every day, you know, we're personalizing our learning and we're speaking to the students and we know what engages them in the classroom. But when I've been doing these projects, I've always been thinking more whole school rather than the individual students. And I know the data and anybody again who's in my position, you're looking at the data all the time, you're looking at the theory, the research, you're looking at the strategies, but for me, it was about taking it really back to basics and making reading really personal. Um, as I talk to you today about everything that I've been doing and how these strategies have come into place, you'll notice I keep coming back to reading quite a lot because that is really my passion. So yes, literacy, vocabulary, oracy, but it is reading that is the thing that always just sets my heart on fire a little bit. And I know that sounds super cheesy. Um, but yeah, so making reading personal. So the first thing that I decided to do was develop a student voice survey. Um, the wonderful Alice Fissafuri, she was a guest quite a few weeks ago now on the show. And if anybody is aware of Alice or not, I'm gonna plug her again, because she's incredible. Um, she works in a school in the UK and she supports reading for pleasure, reading across the curriculum in her school. And again, she creates so many resources for things, for people, for students, for staff. Thoroughly recommend. Anyway, I tweeted out that I wanted to do a student voice survey. And I was really worried about the quality of my questions because I wanted to make sure they weren't leading. I wanted to make sure I was gonna get the wealth of information that I needed. And Alice very kindly sent me straight away one of the templates that she's used in the past, which I was able to use as a springboard for my own student voice survey, which the students conducted before the winter break. Um, analyzing their responses and reading through their responses, um, some of it was a shock, some of it was sad, some of it was quite pleasing, some of it was definitely not a shock, but it really gave, in terms of real terms, the situation that my school was finding itself in. So for anybody who is listening back to this um, because they're thinking about building a reading culture, my first biggest piece of advice would be conduct your student voice survey. Find out from the horse's mouths, find out what the student's views are because you can put in every strategy, you can try everything under the sun, but if you've not got their opinion, and I know it sounds like I'm probably teaching people to suck eggs, but like I say, this was something that I had massively not considered in terms of all the strategies and the research. I was just looking at the raw data, what reading ages were suggesting, and I could have really missed a trick. 
I think the the saddest and most shocking thing for me and something that I was very keen to share with staff as part of their PD was the fact that 60% of our entire secondary school at seven to nine, years seven to nine, 60% of our students did not identify as being confident readers. To say that over half of your cohort doesn't feel confident reading, whether that's reading independently, reading aloud in front of a class, reading just to a parent or a teacher, that to me is devastating. And I, I was stumbling over that word then because I thought, don't sound overly dramatic, Rebecca, but no, it is, it's devastating because that to me is more important than what students' reading age actually is, what their reading ability, because when I cross-referenced some of that data, that was students who were still coming out with quite high reading ages. So immediately I knew that the situation that we had in my school and the students that we had, this was going to be a lot bigger than just getting dressed up on World Book Day and an awful lot bigger than putting posters on the door to say what the teachers are reading that week. By the way, both of those things are amazing. I love World Book Day almost as much as I love my own birthday, but... They are just teeny tiny things that we can be doing in terms of developing our culture. Um, another thing, again, wasn't massively surprising because we don't have our library, um, but a lot of students are demotivated in my school because they couldn't find or didn't know how to find books that they enjoy. And I think that's something that's massively, massively underrated. Um, I take for granted, massively take for granted, um, that I know how to find books that I like to read. Um, my Kindle library is constantly stocked or my wish list or recommended reads. Um, I've grown up being a complete book lover, know exactly how to navigate a bookshop, know exactly how to navigate a library. And, you know, life moves on. We're moving into much more modern eras. Young people don't have, not all young people, I don't want to generalise, but a lot of young people don't have that same kind of experience or knowledge that we do. So that's something that's given me huge food for thought, and I'll come on to one of the ways that I've tackled that later on in the show. Um, another one was the amount of young people when they get to secondary school who stop having conversations at home um, with their families about what they're reading. I don't have children, but I have an awareness of primary school, and you know students go home with their reading books every day, and they have to read to a family member and they write in the reading diary and it goes back to school and there's that constant dialogue being formed that stops at secondary school and I think it stops as it's going throughout primary in some cases and it's also that kind of responsibility that we have as teachers to keep that dialogue going with parents so I've been looking a lot at how we can encourage parents to support their children with their reading and it takes a lot more. I write every week in the newsletter. And it takes a lot more than just posting comments and writing things or sharing competitions or talking about it on parents' evening. There has to be a real breakdown here and development to make sure that parents have an understanding of their children and what they are doing as readers. So if anybody is listening or listening back to this and they have some suggestions for that, that is somewhere I am looking to go a little bit further down the road this school year. So please get in touch with me um, through Teachers Talk Radio or whatever you need to do to get in touch and let me know how you are communicating with parents about your students as readers. But like I say, in school, 
what I need to do is start prompting, start promoting those conversations. Um, my students, the students at my school, they are very representative of the illiterate generation, the generation that can read functionally, but just choose not to. And we're finding more and more with every year that passes, there's greater distractions, hobbies, interests, whatever, that prompt young people to move further and further away from the bookshelf and into other areas of interest. And I'm not going to sit here and say, I, I read every night when I go home. I'm not going to sit here and say that young people should not be doing hobbies. That's exactly not what I'm saying. However, there is a place for reading. There is an opportunity for young people to engage with texts. I feel very, very strongly about that. And it's about finding that balance and helping these young people who do have literacy skills, who can read. But again, it's the sense of a literacy, the fact that they are choosing not to. So one of the things that I've been doing in school a lot with my students, which I'm now starting to model, this is something that I'll be doing in tomorrow's CPD session with my staff at my school, is actually focusing on how we can have some of these conversations with students, showing that we are interested, opening those conversations about hobbies and interests and sparking some interest with authors that students may be interested in. Um, what I have compiled, again, with some help from LitDrive, actually, this time, it sparked my resources for this. So, again, if anybody is looking for resources, LitDrive is amazing. But what I've created now is a bank of texts, fiction books, that complement every subject area in the school. Um, that did take a lot of work, I'm not going to lie, even though I did managed to use somebody else's work as a springboard whose name I can't remember so I do apologize and find it and tweet out about it later so I can at least get that name out there um, and that's been brilliant because obviously I know a lot of students don't come into the English classroom thinking it's their favorite subject or they're counting down the minutes because they've got PE or science or history or geography or whatever it is that they love um, so what I've done is I've collated and shared with all staff and I did this as part of our first session and I'll go through the breakdown with you later on. Um, but given subject by subject fiction books that might spark a pupil's interest in the area that they are interested in. It also takes the kind of hard work out for other staff and it just means that they can start to have a conversation with their students supporting the development in their subject area and then hopefully being able to develop that kind of relationship with a teaching member that they already enjoy spending time with. Um, but I do need to tell you about one student in particular. Um, this student has said to me all year, yeah, I, I loved reading in primary school and I read this author and I read this book and I was reading all the time. Their mum has said the same, you know, I don't know what's happened. They used to read all the time. Now they don't like reading. I try and take them to the bookshop and they won't buy any books. And this student has come to me and said, I don't like reading anymore. I've fallen out of love with reading, but I'm actually quite sad about that. And I really want your help. And I really took this to heart because I just thought, you know, anytime any student asks for any kind of help, we, we want to, obviously. That's why we're in the job that we have. But when it's about reading, there's something about that that kind of hits me a little bit even more to the core. Um, now, this student's been working from home since um, the start of this term. So they have been at home and they have been talking to me. And yes, I'm trying to do some reading, find this authors, whatever. 
anyway the other week they asked if they could stay on a zoom call with me after our lesson because they'd finally found an author that they really connected with and they wanted to tell me about this and they'd found this author online through recommendations through friends they'd read a few extracts a few blurbs and they told their mum about it and the mum was so happy that they went straight to Dubai Mall, plug in Dubai Mall, um, and to one of the best bookshops I've ever been to in my life, Kinakunya. And they'd gone in there and they had literally swept the shelves of this author's work. And the student now comes on Zoom all the time to tell me exactly what it is, what they're reading, why they're enjoying it. And I'm absolutely thrilled. And this person is my... It's my light bulb. They're my tiny glimmer. We talk about our tiny glimmers a lot. I've had guests on here talking about those tiny glimmers, those moments, and it's absolutely just phenomenal for me. And it is, it's phenomenal. That one little light bulb moment, and I think if I can get it to work with that student, I'm going to get it to work with other students. And it's moments like these that we talk about all the time. We talk about these on the show a lot moments that we have to treasure and hope that when there is one of these moments others will follow and that the tide will begin to turn so one student down 191 students to go i think current recent role maybe a few less um but yeah that's it we've got one there so i'm pretty thrilled to share that little bit of success with you Right, I am going to give myself a break for a few minutes because I tell you what, talking just to yourself is um, it's no mean feat. So I'm going to play the ads, the news and the tech and then I will be back after this. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. An all-boys school in St Albans has had its Haven dress code scrapped by head teacher Julie Richardson, who took up her role last September. 
Previously, students could be sent home from the Hertfordshire School if their hair was deemed to be extreme in style, colour or length. Ms Richardson is now urging other schools to rethink their uniform policy. She said, It is utter madness to be taking children out of class, away from learning, just because their hairstyle does not fit in with archaic ideas on dress. It is my view that these rules, inadvertently or not, target students of colour and are not inclusive and discriminatory. This is not the type of school I would like to attend, work in or lead, which is why we have removed all reference to hair in our uniform policy. We want our boys to embrace how their hair grows. Former Education Secretary Gavin Williamson has been accused of threatening to withdraw funding for a school in Bury after a former Tory MP considered voting against the government. According to a report for Sky News, Christian Wakeford, who recently defected to the Labour Party, had previously said that he was warned that funding for a new secondary school would be withdrawn if he voted for a motion criticising the government over free school meals. The vote took place in October 2020. In response, Mr Williamson said, I don't have any recollection of the conversation as described, but what I do remember is working tirelessly with Christian and others to deliver this school, which I did. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not going to go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm going to give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser, so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter, or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link, and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. Share collections of links in a meaningful way, for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or, if you love whiteboards, Boards, try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your class's whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on. 
The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So welcome back to Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca, doing my first ever solo show. Um, so far, so good, I want to say. I haven't completely sent myself to sleep talking, so hopefully everybody listening is also in the same um, same position and not falling asleep too. Um, I've got to say, I absolutely love the two-minute tech that's been introduced. I think that Steve, every time he does it, I'm always here chuckling to myself. Um, and I just think it's really funny um, what he was saying about teaching online and Marmite and what I was saying um, at the start of the show. And yeah, I don't like Marmite either. So I'm going to just leave it there without repeating myself <laughs> too much. So before the break, I was talking to you about my one little glimmer, the one student who has said to me, he's finally found an author, so I'm hoping that that one glimmer is going to turn into something a little bit more, and we're going to start to see more engagement from students, and if you can hear that, I apologise, my cat's woken up. Um, he's already totally humiliated me today um, in an interview. I was interviewing a candidate for an English teaching job in my department, and the cat decided to make quite the appearance and now he's doing the same. So I'm not completely alone. I shouldn't say that at all because now he wants to let you know that he's here as well. Um, anyway, since starting my role in September, and I have talked about this quite a lot on the show, I have been keen to embed lots of new ideas and strategies. I mean, that was one of the things that really appealed to me about this job. I mean, when do you ever get the opportunity to actually build a department from scratch? And that was one of the reasons why it was such an opportunity that I couldn't turn down. But as I've mentioned before, and probably will mention again, wanting to do everything at once has always been an issue for me and something that I have really had to teach myself to kind of slow down and check everything around me really as I'm moving forward as to what's going to work effectively first and then take it from there. So being strategic has been key since my start in September. And it's been great to embed things in that first term at a department level and now start to take things towards whole school. Uh, the first thing then that I'm going to talk to you a little bit in depth about with our Reading Across the Curriculum programme is Reading Plus. Um, now, Ian Turner has been a guest on the show before and Ian and I connected over LinkedIn. You see the power of social media, it's amazing. Connected on LinkedIn, we got talking about reading and I invited him onto the show. And the way that he explained Reading Plus was just so, it just made so much sense to me and I just found it so utterly engaging that I signed my school up for a trial. We loved it and I've never looked back and a lot of our students haven't and the data that we've got from it so far has been absolutely intrinsic really in me developing our whole reading across the curriculum um, strategies and program. Um, so Reading Plus, just to give you a little bit of background about it and why I like it and why we use it, um, it's an online program. It's very similar to previous online programs, other well-known accelerated readers, etc. 
um, in terms of having online libraries and students have got assessments and then obviously they have a personalized program to suit their reading ability. Um, but what Reading Plus really does focus on is the actual function of reading and focusing on reading fluency and developing fluency for readers so that the actual art and skill of reading isn't something that is tiresome and laboursome because what you find with a lot of our students, with any students that struggle to read, is they just don't know how to do it. Their eyes aren't even trained to read in a straight line and it's exhausting and it becomes counterproductive and you lose your place, you lose your track. So how can you comprehend anything that you have not been able to read fluently? So the program, because it works on devices, obviously. Um, the program actually then creates like a reading bar across the screen. So as the students are reading it, it's only the line. And if they really struggle with their fluency, it's literally word by word that is visible. And as the students make more progress, those parameters change and they get a little bit wider and a little bit bigger until they're back to reading a full page at a time. So fluency is one thing that it focuses on. And then once the fluency is developed, they look at reading comprehension. And that obviously is then the understanding, the being able to explain, the being able to retrieve, the being able to identify. And so this program works in tangent with it both. And the data that we receive, we can see, first of all, the students' reading fluency rate, so how many words they can access per minute and how many words they can understand per minute. Um, and then with that as well, we then build up the comprehension. So after the students have read a text, they then do a quick lesson or a quiz, um, and then that builds up their comprehension score. The progress that some of our students have made has been absolutely phenomenal. Again, you know the situation. You get the students who are keen to please. Oh, a bit of movement. No, I'm not. Oh, I'm not moving. Hope you can hear me. Okay, thanks, Sir Tom. <laughs> Keep track of me because I'm definitely not moving. Um. Yes, so the students themselves, the ones who buy in, the ones that actually want to always please the teacher, do the learning, they're the ones that we can see. The ones who actually like reading, let's be honest, they're the ones where we're actually really starting to see the big wins now in terms of rapid progress, in terms of reading age gains, um, in terms of fluency gains. So that's been really, really exciting to see. The students who struggle to read, Again, obviously, we're still coming up with those same kind of barriers. I'm not going to say for a second that it solves all problems because it doesn't. And then that comes back down to us and it comes back to teachers and it comes back to reinforcing those expectations. Um, and praise, praising, praising, praising all the time. You know, celebrating the wins, no matter how small, celebrating the successes of the students. We make it very, very visible. We talk about it in assembly. As I mentioned, I write in the parent newsletter every single week. Um, we're just about to get some boards up in my corridor outside my classroom where we can be promoting our reading plus our bedrock, which I'm going to get onto in a moment, um, and then our words of the week so that students can actually visibly see not just hear about it in their English lessons all the time. As well, like I said, being strategic, this was at department level, we're now rolling this out. Tomorrow's session um, is actually focusing on reading and I'll come on to that a little bit later. Um, 
where I'm actually going to go into a lot of detail with staff so that they can engage with it as well. And again, developing and building those conversations outside of the English classroom, I'm really hoping that we're going to see some development in terms of student and teacher engagement. So I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend for anybody listening who's looking or has the budget for an online program to have some research into Reading Plus and see if it fits for your school. It's very easy to manage. And as I said, the data that we collate from this, it's live, it's actionable all the time. It's really, really good to see. So definitely have a look at Reading Plus. I've used Accelerated Reader before. Absolutely fine. I know some schools absolutely love it. But again, when you don't have a library space, like I don't at the moment, and we need some form of access to a library, at least having an online library at Reading Plus has been massively helpful for me and for my students. So that's one online program that we use. And then the other one is Bedrock Learning. And Bedrock Learning is all about the development of tier two vocabulary. Um, it's spaced learning, so it works a lot with the theory behind retrieval. And again, if you've listened to my show, you know what an absolute fan and advocate I am of retrieval strategies in the classroom. Um, Kate Jones this afternoon, this afternoon, by the way, everyone, just uh, get a plug in for her this afternoon. Um, so bedrock learning, tier two vocabulary, um, students are exposed to a whole new range of vocab, which they then see in different contexts, different settings and different types of texts. And again, the assessment, they have um, a pretest, they go through some blocks of lessons and we set this as homework for year seven to nine in the English department. And again, it's really easy to track. Things like homework are one of those things as a teacher. Again, don't know if I should say this, but I hate it. Um, I hate the setting of it. I hate having to remember to collect it in. I hate marking it. Um, so bedrock for me is a massive win, especially when you've got a lot of classes or you're overseeing a whole department and you're seeing every student in the school because I can track every kid. So it is brilliant. Um, and both of these programs, as I've mentioned, they are personalized and it's very discreet to each student's abilities. So when they say we say, right, go on your reading plus, you've got 20 minutes of form time, it's reading time, do your reading plus. No student knows what, you know, the person sat next to them, the person on the next table, because they all just think they're on reading plus. And for me, the more discreet your differentiation is, the more successful it's going to be, the more participation you're going to get from your students. So the PD programme that I've been mentioning, um, it's taken a lot of thought, it's taken a lot of research, it's taken a lot of planning, that's of no surprise to anybody that's developing PD programmes in their school. It's been really important for me to get this right. Um, I care a lot about, a lot isn't even, it doesn't even equate, I care immensely about the development of literacy, vocabulary, of reading, I think the more we can express ourselves, shocker, she says, having talked pretty much non-stop for 45 minutes, the more we can express ourselves, the more vocabulary that we can access. You know, I always think about 1984 and Orwell and how they're breaking down the vocabulary. And I reference this to students all the time when they're diminishing their own vocabulary. And I'm saying, you know, George Orwell predicted this. He said that we would be using less words. Um, for me, teaching students new words every day, for me learning new words every day, is just so, so, so important. And I know I care about this in just the same way that teachers care about their curriculum, 
the things they need to deliver. And I'm also so mindful that, you know, I've spoken at the start of the show about all the things that we've got going on in school, COVID, hybrid teaching, back to teaching online, inspection coming up, kids in the school, kids out of school, bubbles closing down, you know, all of it on top of your day to day. So when we're talking about getting it right, for me, getting it right means that it's going to be manageable for staff. Staff aren't going to feel overwhelmed by what you're trying to do, but staff are going to care probably not as much as you do as the person delivering, but certainly starting to have some of the same feelings, realizing the importance. Um, so when I first sat down in my line management meeting with my head teacher and we spoke about this and we've spoken about this at length and I've gone away and I've plotted things out and I've come back and I've spoken about it and I thought, no, it's not going to quite work that way. Um, basically, I've broken it down into lots of manageable different sections, lots of manageable different chunks um, so that staff don't feel overwhelmed because obviously it's a huge, huge topic and I could talk about it every week all year if they gave me the floor space to do so. Um, so yeah, four sessions and I started and um, I might be sat by myself this evening, but I'm like triple screened tonight to make sure I'm super organized. I've got Podbean open and then I've got all my work stuff so I can keep talking through my PD sessions. I told you, planned this like an NQT plans a lesson this evening. Um, so my sessions have been broken down into different areas. So the first one, and this was the one that was really important that I got right, was the overview um, and making sure that the way that staff engaged with this, the first time they saw this, they were going to understand, they were going to appreciate why reading, vocabulary, literacy across the curriculum are so important. I then moved on and we focused on vocabulary and language acquisition. And then tomorrow, my baby, my passion, reading across the curriculum and reading strategies, and then following next week with oracy and questioning in the classroom. So for me, breaking down the key principles to allow each one to permeate, you know, just in the way we're talking about retrieval, we're talking about space learning, we're talking about interleaving our practice in the classroom, this is exactly the same. That's why it's called teaching and learning. We're all learning first. So it, for me, those key principles needed to have time to breathe, to permeate and to come back. I mean, the school that I work in, yes, we are a British curriculum school, um, but we have a very, very high proportion of EAL learners. And for me, looking at that as being a priority in terms of developing and acquiring language, that kind of needed to come first to underpin everything else that I'm going to talk about in terms of the development of our sessions. So as I said, session one was absolutely crucial that we got that staff buy-in. And it was also really important that staff could understand why this vocabulary acquisition, why reading and why oracy are so important and things that people can do. So the first thing that I did was I shared the student voice data that I mentioned earlier on in the show because I wanted to make the results, I wanted to make the reasons tangible and I had a mixture of obviously quantitative and then qualitative data and I wanted the staff to be able to see the numbers 
but I wanted the staff to be able to see the words behind the numbers. That was really important to me, that they could see what the students were thinking, feeling, but saying about where, how they felt about reading and where they felt they were reading. And one of the questions asked, where do you read in school? And they had multiple choice options. They didn't just have to answer one. And 5% of the people who answered close to six, six, five to 6% identified that they read in other subjects other than English, which is ridiculous because we know that students are reading everywhere, not just students, we're reading everywhere, we're reading all the time, we're unpicking things, we're constantly skimming and scanning and deducing information. We do it almost subconsciously, but that again needed to be the shift. The shift in our culture, the shift in the conversations, because students weren't being explicitly shown, told, led to realize that they were reading across the curriculum, that they were challenging their perceptions, they were making inferences, they were deducing, they were decoding. And again, I think the staff to see that and to realize actually we're not making reading clear. That was an immediate way to buy in. So I'm not saying obviously make up your data because everybody's school could be different, but this just so happened to play completely straight into my hands really when I was looking at that as a piece of information. Um, so yeah, the student voice data was somewhere where I started. I keep circling back in every single session. This is how I started, this is how I end it. That at Christmas, 60% of our students did not see themselves as being confident readers because the more I say it, it doesn't get any easier to hear. And again, like I said to you, that is regardless of reading ability, that is a blanket across my school. So that is a culture shift that needs to change immediately. And as we know, not just English teachers are teachers of literacy and reading, and that is something that I'll advocate until the day I die. Um, so that was something else that I felt was very important for staff to know. Um, I then shared with them the data that we had collected from Reading Plus. Now, the data from Reading Plus is brilliant because it's really visual. And when the students have conducted their first assessment, their baseline, um, Honestly, Reading Plus aren't paying me, by the way. I just love the resource. Um, just should get that out there. Um, but yes, when you look at the data, it's in four quadrants, and it shows you fluency versus comprehension, and the amount of students that are in the low fluency, low comprehension across the school visually doesn't look great. So again, I wanted to show the actual data, the raw data, the scores, what the tests and the assessments were showing us so that staff could see the realities of what we're working with. And then compared that with the realities of curriculum expectations because staff weren't aware. And I don't think a lot of people are aware, you know, 14 years old is the reading age required to access GCSE exam papers, 14 of a reading age. Anybody that's listening, no matter what your subject is, you've got access to that data. You know the realities in your classrooms. There are so many students that are nowhere near 14 as a reading age. So we know that before we even begin, we've got a huge mountain to climb. And, you know, working in the UAE, working internationally, we don't have the same sorts of demographics that I'm used to working with in the UK. We're not talking about low socioeconomic backgrounds. We're not talking about people premium students. We're not talking about 
the same kind of issues in terms of those kind of starting points but we're talking about the issues in the academic starting points so it's really in its in its own way presents its own challenges um so that in itself was something that i needed to be really really aware of when i was sharing this with staff um so yes that starting point for 14 years old and then showing them especially where our year nine students are as we're going into year 10 was something that i think was a bit of a wake-up call and i hoped would be something that would enable staff to see why we needed to make some changes um so after we've gone through all that I then shared with the staff the short, medium and long-term outcomes because, again, keeping those things is obviously vital. Um, and I shared some reading, but not too much because I always think it's quite important to obviously let staff know that it's rooted in research and grounded in theory. But, you know, I've mentioned them before, Alex quickly um, closing the vocabulary gap, closing the reading gap. I can't tell you how many times I've read both of those and I come up with something new every time. Um, Douglas Mob Reading Reconsidered, one of the greatest books ever if you're looking at developing a reading curriculum. Um, Kenny Piper, How to Teach Reading, another great book from the How to Teach series. Um, you know, I've had Chris Curtis on here before from How to Teach English. Um, again, really great book in terms of picking up and getting takeaways. And then the wonderful Teresa Kremen, who I also mentioned. Um, so again, not too much research. I wanted to strike the right balance. I didn't want to scare people off from the very beginning, but I thought it was really important for people to see our starting points. So that was how we went into the whole session. That was into session one, and then we've moved into session two and focusing on vocabulary. Now, I really did focus on Alex Quigley's book, um, Closing the Vocabulary Book for this um, Gap, for this one. Um, just because I felt that he has so many strategies and so many great ideas, I didn't really want to clutter things that he was saying. Now, Alex Quigley worked for a long time at Huntington School in York, which was just down the road from where I worked in North Yorkshire. So I also feel a bit of an affinity bringing somebody from North Yorkshire into the UAE and into my um, PT sessions here in Dubai. Um, so it definitely gave me a sense of um, warmth with that. Um, so yes, Alex Quigley, Closing the Vocabulary Gap, if you've not read it, get it, because it's brilliant. Um, so I really focused with staff in that particular session with the emphasis on how much language students need in their word hoard, how much language they need for students to be able to access, again, the curriculum. and. I hate to keep bringing it back to the curriculum, to be honest, because that's not that's not really my main drive, to be honest. It's not my main driver when I'm talking about promoting a love of reading. For me, promoting a love of reading is about emotional awareness, emotional intelligence, empathy, being able to understand more complex worldly issues, being able to express yourself being able to explore concepts that you would never maybe get to explore because you don't live in those settings or scenarios. So for me, I have to be very careful because there is the academic gain. However, it's very, very important that we do look at the bigger picture and the bigger reasons why we want young people to be reading as much as possible. But going back to this idea of the word hoard and language, we have got students 
and they need 50 to 60,000 words. That is what they are expected to leave secondary school with um, in there. I love that word hoard. I just like the image of them like carrying them around with them everywhere in a big bag, a Mary Poppins style bag. Um, and in particular, subjects like science. Science, you know, it's a language all of its own. And if students can't access the subject specific vocabulary, how are they going to be able to access their exam papers? Um, so for me, getting the science department in particular to be thinking about the use of tier three vocabulary was really, really important. Um, for all subjects though, it is that development of tier two. And Alex quickly mentions this in his book about how that tier two vocabulary teaching needs to be a priority for every subject and every teacher um, and how that can be embedded and reinforced. Um, another thing that I shared with staff, which in itself I think is really interesting, is the fact that it can take up to 17 exposures to one word for it to become embedded in a child's word hoard and be part of their lexical range. 17 exposures. When you think about how many times we just say one word and two words and we expect a young person to immediately soak it up like a sponge and they go to six, seven in some schools, eight lessons a day. Or, oh, here's your key word, write it in your book. Or here's your key word for today and you write it on the whiteboard and you rub it off at the end and that's it. They don't see that word again. How are they ever expected to remember it when it can take up to 17 exposures? So all of this kind of information Again, you don't really want to scare people. You don't want to turn them off from something before they've even started. But it's important, I think, that staff know, understand, and then ultimately care about it. So one of the biggest drivers now, we've started with, again, hardly groundbreaking, um, word of the week. But our word of the week, we're actually looking at prefixes. And we're really focusing, first of all, on the etymology of words. And then we're also looking at how these words are broken down. And we're then starting to really focus on the morphology and thinking about the meanings of them. So today, for example, at our school, our word of the week is anti. And we're looking at that as the prefix. And we've looked at antibodies. We've looked at antibiotics. And then we've taken it a little bit further and we're focused on antithesis. Now, antithesis is something that I can bring in because we're looking at um, Macbeth in year nine. So I've told my students I want us to be talking about the word antithesis and how we can bring in that idea when we're looking at Macbeth and Lady Macbeth um, with my year eights. We have been looking at the Hunger Games, so I want them to look at how District 12 and the capital and the whole themes of the Hunger Games and the antithesis of a utopia and in just one day, we're already starting to see, and it's been really lovely today, walking around school, popping into different classrooms and seeing these words around. So, you know, I know it's early days, but we've hit hard. We've gone hard first day, day one, again, being really positive. Um, but it's really great to see that people are using these words and focusing on their breakdown. And again, this was something that I found on Twitter through um, LitDrive as a starting point. And it's something that I think that we're going to be able to really drive forward. So I'll keep people updated as I go on with the show um, to let people know how we get on. But I'm pretty excited about this in terms of the fact that we've got something that's happening. And because of the staff training, staff are starting to see the value and the importance. 
Anyway, I've done another half hour, not that I'm counting down. So I'm going to go with the news again and the ads and that wonderful two-minute tech talk. And I will be back after this. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk this is teachers talk radio and this is teachers talk radio news with gail glenn an all-boys school in st albans has had its haven dress code scrapped by head teacher julie richardson who took up her role last september previously Students could be sent home from the Hertfordshire School if their hair was deemed to be extreme in style, colour or length. Ms Richardson is now urging other schools to rethink their uniform policy. She said, It is utter madness to be taking children out of class, away from learning, just because their hairstyle does not fit in with archaic ideas on dress. It is my view that these rules inadvertently or not, target students of colour and are not inclusive and discriminatory. This is not the type of school I would like to attend, work in or lead, which is why we have removed all reference to hair in our uniform policy. We want our boys to embrace how their hair grows. Former Education Secretary Gavin Williamson has been accused of threatening to withdraw funding for a school in Bury after a former Tory MP considered voting against the government. According to a report for Sky News, Christian Wakeford, who recently defected to the Labour Party, had previously said that he was warned that funding for a new secondary school would be withdrawn if he voted for a motion criticising the government over free school meals. The vote took place in October 2020. In response, Mr Williamson said, I don't have any recollection of the conversation as described, but what I do remember is working tirelessly with Christian and others 
to deliver this school, which I did. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not going to go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm going to give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser, so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter, or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link, and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. Share collections of links in a meaningful way for free. My favorite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or if you love whiteboard, Boards, try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your classes' whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on. The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So welcome back to the last part of Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, who is on the home straight of my first ever solo show. I can't quite believe it, to be honest. Thank God for six-minute news advert and tech talk clips because that certainly gives me a break from hearing myself talk. Um, I've just had a lovely message from a friend who's been listening in and she was like, I've absolutely loved listening. She was like, reading is magical. And she said, I remember when the library van used to come to my school. And she's just completely reminded me of when the library van used to come to my village on a Thursday. And I can't believe that's a memory I've actually forgotten because little old me, that was like the highlight of my week when I was about 11 years old, the library van coming round to my village. And reading really is magical and it's something that I have come to realize as an adult that I massively take for granted. Reading is not something that has ever been a chore, a challenge, difficult for me. It's something that I have always sought out as a form of comfort, a form of enjoyment, a form of relaxation and I think quite honestly when I'm looking at developing um, reading across the curriculum and developing a culture of reading in schools, 
I think that's why, to be honest, because I remember thinking to myself when I first started teaching, and it's really interesting, like I said, I've been interviewing and a candidate said something similar, you know, we have this passion, we have this drive, and we just assume, well, I just assume wrongly that, you know, everybody else is fairly the same. And it's only when you get in the classroom that you realize that, you know, there's quite a lot of barriers and there's a lot of things that you need to do to help people. And, you know, we all have our different passions, we all have our different enjoyments. But for me, being able to spark a little bit of joy for a student, a student being able to find a book that they love or an author that they love and immerse themselves, to me, it's just one of life's most simple and greatest pleasures. And I keep circling back again, 60% of my students saying that they don't feel confident to read. To me, you know, I'd love other schools to ask that question of their students. I'd love people to come back and share that information because I think the results would shock and surprise a lot of people when we think about this. And I think it's something that we really need to consider. Um, and also, it would be very interesting, something I've considered and maybe we'll do further down the line, but actually to um, ask staff how confident they feel reading, teaching reading. I remember as a newly qualified teacher, I remember as a trainee teacher, I used to go home with the book and I would read it out loud to practice because I was so nervous about stumbling and stuttering over a word. And that's just normal, everyday talk, and we do that. And I've come to realize actually, do you know what? The more mistakes we make, the better when we're doing things like that because students realize that we are all human and we do make those mistakes and it's a safe space so it doesn't matter if you stumble over your words or you mispronounce something or you can't pronounce something you know that's when we realize that we're human and it's all part of the learning process just in the same way it's how to spell a word um i usually know how to spell it but just for them to see again you know i don't know I'm stuck, I'm lost, help me so I don't get it wrong. Students need to see that because then they start to realise that it's okay for them as well. So yeah, reading, and this is my session tomorrow. So anyone who's listening, you're getting a sneak preview of my staff CPD session, but you can't be pretty thrilled. Um, so yeah, as I've mentioned, and as I keep coming back to, this for me is my this is my driver, this is my passion, this is what I care about, this is what I love, this is why I do what I do, this is why I love being an English teacher, um, because I can talk about books forever, as I've managed to pretty much prove this evening. Um, so reading across the curriculum, building a culture of loving reading is something that I have done in my previous schools, my last two schools, one in the UK and one in the UAE. Um, as I mentioned before, in the UK, you know, we had socioeconomic things, we were talking about pupil premium, we were talking about um, families not being able to afford to have books in the house. Um, one of the biggest things that I did in the UK was secure funding so that every student in year seven could have a book as a Christmas present. You know, you see beautiful things that people do every year for students in underprivileged communities so that students have access to books. Marcus Rashford, I think, is an absolute superstar um, for everything that he has done to promote reading, especially in communities such as where he grew up. Um, and like I said, working in the UAE, the parameters are very different. The, the, the issues are very different in that respect. Um, but we still have 
those issues in terms of engagement and getting students to read. Um, and it's about how we can break down those barriers. So the other thing about here in the UAE as well, I should mention, is that reading in the curriculum has very much got its own agenda. Every year, the UAE celebrates a certain thing, a certain idea. We've had the year of tolerance, for example. Um, we had the year of the 50, the year that the UAE was 50 years old. I think it's is it the year of, I can't even think what it is this year. Is it the year of Expo? Gosh, I really hope it is, because that's really awkward. Um, but the point I'm making is, a few years ago, they had the year of reading, and his Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum here in the Dubai ruler, he was the person that really focused on the development and the importance of reading. And I'm just going to quote him, actually, because this is something that I'm sharing with the staff tomorrow. So I do apologize. This is very UAE-centric for a minute. He says, we've selected the creativity and innovation as pathways to progress. The pillar of this creativity lies between the covers and pages of the book. So open up new avenues of knowledge and help young people make research and curiosity a habit from early ages. This will help develop a generation of scholars and scientists who will pursue progress and development. I mean, for me, as an English teacher, as a head of English, who's a person who is promoting reading across the curriculum, when um, the ruler of your city, your emirate, is saying things like that, I mean, it's, it's a pretty brilliant starting point, to be honest. And it's an incredible thing to hear a world leader say out loud. Um, and we have leaders that say these things out loud. But like I say, in the UAE, reading is very much part of the education agenda. It's very much a focus. Um, so I've already mentioned inspections. But again, when we are inspected by um, the Dubai Education Authority and the KHDA, we will be very much focused on our reading and what we're doing across the curriculum. So you know, it does have its role massively within the frameworks of education here in the UAE and especially in Dubai. Um, but having said that, it is the fact that it is something that I do care massively about. And tomorrow, this is going to be the area of focus that I can really get my teeth into. Um, I do feel a little bit sorry for the staff tomorrow because they are going to see me full pelt enthusiasm as I share with them. Um, a whole range of things, really. Um, like I say, we've already talked about the buy-in and why we need to do this. And tomorrow's session is very much dealing with um, the why and then the how. So why we're focusing on reading, why the situation is where it's at with our students, with our school. And again, I've been very, very specific this evening and I have told you quite a lot of information in terms of our students. But... I do want to make this very clear, you know, and I think it's something that we should speak openly about. This isn't anything shocking. It's nothing new. We're working with teenagers. You know, there aren't whole collections of young people that do want to sit down and silently read um, all day, every day. So, you know, it is a culture thing that happens in a lot of different schools, not just my own or the other schools that I've worked in previously. Uh, but what it is enabling us to do is actually start to build and develop that conversation. So I've really rooted all of these sessions, and I totally forgot to mention this, um, in the EEF and their recommendations for literacy in secondary school. Um, and again, really clear, really clear instruction, really supportive, lots of great advice there on that website. 
very well broken down and really nice and supportive. Um, so that's where I'm starting tomorrow with staff. I'm really focusing then on not just what they're saying, what you can do, but then how we can do it. Um, so I've collated a range of different resources, a range of different strategies, things that are going to help and support. But then whole school, the idea being, like I said, going back all the way to thinking about Teresa Kremen and thinking about how we can create that informal book talk. So once teachers can start embedding those strategies, not just embedding them, but making them visible, making them tangible for learners, students can realise that they are actually reading across the curriculum and not just in their English lessons with Miss Ricketts because she's pulled out yet another extract that she needs to talk about because it's really exciting. And that happens a lot in my classroom. Um, but they can actually start to see the benefits and see it working in all of their different subject areas. So I'm really excited for tomorrow's session because this is the one that I really do feel probably the most confident with and the one that I know in terms of reading development has the most success. And then finally, as I start to bring this to a close, we'll go into session four and that is looking at verbal oracy, verbal literacy and our oracy skills and focusing on questioning. Um, as I said, um, strong EAL contingents in the school, lots of different first languages. Um, we did an interesting poll with the students before the winter break and I think we've got 30 odd, 40 odd, I'm probably even underselling it, different first languages across the secondary school. Um, so that in itself presents all sorts of challenges. Um, when you can actually speak to parents at parents' evening and you realise that so many of your students actually um, don't even speak English when they go home. I mean, that always blows my mind and I say this to EAL learners a lot. And again, I've mentioned this from my previous school. Um, we were talking about the fact that, you know, they go home, they speak in Arabic or whatever their first language. I was like, well, what language are you thinking in? And they're thinking in their first language and then they're speaking in English. And that to me absolutely blows my mind because these students are acquiring language at a rate so much more rapid than they even realise and we even realise. Um, but again, it's about putting those frameworks and those supports in place. Um, one of my biggest bugbears in the classroom is, Miss, can I open the lights or open the AC? Because in Arabic, they don't have the same verb structure for turn on. So I'm always like, no, you can't open the AC. You can turn on the air conditioning. You can turn on the lights. And it's those little things every day that, you know, sometimes when you're busy and you teach and you're like, yeah, whatever, and you don't think about it. But that's where I've had to kind of be strict with myself and stop myself and say, no, you can't open the lights. You can't open the AC. You've got to turn it on. And then, you know, again, gradually, gradually we get there. It's always worse after a holiday, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, but we do eventually get back to some sort of place where we're formulating English sentences, not English that's being translated. Um, another plug for a resource whilst I'm talking about vocabulary development and vocabulary acquisition is um, Crafting Brilliant Sentences by Lindsay Skinner. Now, I came across Lindsay quite a few years ago when I was still working in the UK and I was our pixel representative for my school and I absolutely used to love anybody that's listening who goes to the pixel conferences what a treat they are I absolutely love it because it meant getting down to London on the train 
going to a conference in Westminster, jumping on the tube and going to Selfridge just for a couple of hours, going for a quick glass of champagne and then getting the train back up to North Yorkshire. Um, but aside from that, um, there would also be a day of conferences and really important, really interesting things to do with teaching and learning. Um, and that's where I saw Lindsay as a keynote speaker and I thought she was brilliant. So found her on Twitter, followed her, saw that she then became a head teacher and I thought, oh, that's the kind of school I want to work in. Um, but unfortunately, she's not a head teacher in the UAE. Um, so then saw that she was bringing out her resource, Crafting Brilliant Sentences. And again, if we're talking about developing vocabulary, totally shifted away from oracy here, but um, developing vocabulary at word level, that is exactly what her resource does, and it breaks everything down. So we've, we've just gone through every different type of noun, and we do this once every two weeks. So every, what was a Sunday, but now a Monday, because of our new timetable change, um, we have a literacy lesson, and every other week it's either a literacy lesson, or it's um, a writing challenge, which kind of crafted from Chris Curtis's 200 word challenges, but then changed it up a little bit more so it was a bit more extended. Um, but what we do then with Lindsay's lessons, and we, today we were doing about auxiliary verbs, um, so we've moved on now from nouns to auxiliary verbs, and the difference between a verb to be and a verb to do. Um, so now for the rest of the week, what will happen is we will interleave that learning as part of our starters. Um, because again, I'm finding that when we really break it down at word level, the students are becoming much more confident with their sentence construction. They are becoming much more fluent with their verbal sentence construction as well, um, as well as what they're writing down. So if you're looking for a really good literacy resource, I thoroughly recommend Lindsay Skinner's book because it is super helpful in terms of developing students' written and verbal literacy. So yeah, next week's session um, will maybe be done before the show, so I'll be able to feed back, um, but that will be focusing all on oracy, questioning strategies, developing students' ability to speak in full sentences when they answer, because again, you know, students don't always answer in full sentences in their written work, they need to be, um, and again, it's mirroring that. I'm going to be speaking with staff about um, how to model good talk and what good talk sounds like. And I'm terrible for this, especially when I'd just been home for the Christmas break, came back and all the Yorkshire informalities were coming out of my mouth in the classroom. And I really had to check myself, remind myself <laughs> where I was and how I was back at work. Um, my stepdad loves this because um, he always talks about how much I swear when I'm at home and he can't believe I'm an English teacher. I can't believe I just said that about myself, but it's true. Um, and so he always loves the fact that I am actually an English teacher because he can't quite believe that I can hold together a sentence without there being some form of profanity. Um, but I can. I can hold true to this day. So if he ever listens back to this, I know he does from time to time. Um, he knows he's now had a mention as well. Um, so yes, oral strategies next week and focusing on spoken language. And then that's going to wrap us up just in time for our BSO inspection where all the staff will be able to demonstrate, hopefully, um, the strategies that they've acquired. Anyway, I've done it. 
I've done a full show by myself and I knew my mum would come in. I knew you were there. That's why I started talking about Peter. And now she's changed her name so I can actually see her. Hi mum, thanks. Thanks for joining in the dying minutes. Um, but yes, I've done it. I have managed to make it an hour and a half of a show, which I never thought would happen, um, but it has. Um, oh, and there she is. Hi. Um, so thank you so much if you have listened or you've played back and you have kept up with my ramblings and my thoughts, I suppose, and my plans for developing teaching and learning in terms of reading across the curriculum. Um, now you understand how my students feel on the daily, <laughs> having to listen to me witter on. Anyway, thank you so much. So later on today, you've got Kate Jones coming up next, um, the legend that is, and then you've got the boss, Tom Rogers. So a really lovely Monday evening, and I will be back with you next week. So until then, take care, and I will speak to you all soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.